Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz. In this series, we're examining global trends that will affect and shape business in the next few decades. We'll be looking at the risks, but also analysing the opportunities that could be available for business and discussing what all this means for the insurance industry. We've already covered cybercrime, autonomous vehicles, Brexit and fraud. And if you missed them, you can download the episodes by subscribing now on your podcast app. This episode, we'll be looking into connected buildings, from water sprinklers in the office to temperature sensors in factories and even washing machines in the home, smart devices connected through the Internet of Things, talking to each other and harvesting data in real time. Experts predict that more than half of major new business processes and systems will incorporate some element of the Internet of Things by 2020. The sheer amount of data that these smart devices collect present major opportunities for insurers. Every aspect of a business or home can be monitored. Temperature, humidity, CO2 levels, movement, occupancy, energy usage, water leakages. This data can be analysed in real time, kicking preventative measures into effect when a pattern indicating an accident is detected. It has the potential to completely redefine the traditional insurance business model, shifting the focus from paying out after the event to the prevention of accidents occurring in the first place. But as with everything linked to the internet, connected building devices can be hacked, leaving businesses vulnerable to cyber attacks. A report from Samsung says the need to secure every connected device by 2020 is critical and that there's a very clear danger that the technology is running ahead of the game. Now, joining me in the studio today to discuss this in more detail, we've got James Tucker, the Smart Technology Manager at Allianz, Daniel Pierce, a Senior Analyst at Global Data, Ross Mackay, Global Solutions Architect, IBM Watson, IoT Division, and finally Lottie McNair, Design researcher at Connected Places Catapult. Welcome to you all. Now, let's get let's get the definitions out of the way. What is meant, James, by a connected building? Well, it's quite a simple thing, really, a connected building. It's just uh, any building which has one or more sensors, which sense uh, anything, really. It could be uh, temperature or uh, occupancy of a room, and then provides data for that to a third party. And Lottie, what's the situation, the current situation? How many companies are actually using this technology? How ready and available is it? Um, It's a bit difficult to answer because there's lots of companies using the technology and lots of companies using lots of different technologies, in a sense. Um, In terms of the readiness of the technology, it really depends on what the sensor is. Um, Sensors can be very simple or very complex. Um, You can have simply like a motion detector stuck to the the bottom of a chair, which detects if there's someone sat in it to detect occupancy. That's really simple. You can just buy a motion sensor and stick it on a chair. And then there's very complex sensors for things like air quality, um, which are much less readily available. So it really depends on the kind of sensor and system that's being used in terms of how available it is. Russ, have you got a a case study that will simplify things for simple people like me? Yeah, there's one I always talk about, toilets. So the worst thing you can do with a toilet is clean it when it's clean or leave it dirty when it's dirty. 
But the way we people work nowadays, they have what's called um, like preventative cleaning. Every 20 minutes, they come in and clean it. It's a big waste of money. So what we want to do is monitor how the toilets are used, how often they're used, so you can clean the toilet at the right time. And if it's not been cleaned, you get someone in immediately. And if it's never been used, don't bother cleaning it because you're just wasting money. So that's one thing. Another one, really important, air quality in buildings. If the air quality is bad in a building, CO2 levels are high or something, people start to get drowsy. They don't work very well. So you need to keep that level of CO2 in particular at the right level. Lottie just mentioned the, the type of sensors. But actually analysing that in real time and sending alerts out to replace a filter in the HVAC or something to make sure that air quality is just right is really important. It's a great way of saving money as well. Excellent. James, you've got some experience of this because Alliance trialled some of this technology down in Guildford at their office. Uh, that's right, yes. We, um, we wanted to understand exactly what was possible with connected buildings and we thought the best way to do this was to put it into our own head office and really we, we um, deployed a large range of sensors. As Lottie said earlier, there's a lot of choice here with what you can do. We put uh, occupancy sensors into some of our meeting rooms to see what the um, usage was like and whether the bookings were being wasted. We had air quality sensors in in other rooms. Uh, We looked at our our in-house canteen and we wanted to understand how busy it was at different times of day. Mm. And we looked at humidity and other air quality sensors uh, in the the communal areas. So we we learned a lot and that was um, how we went about it. And back to Russ then. So... All right, that's what happened in Guildford. What are the advantages? Can you nail those advantages down that a business will uh, enjoy from having a connected building? Absolutely. It's all about saving money. So let's go back to the filters. If you've got dirty filters, you're going to find that you need more air to suck through the filters. To get more air sucking through a filter, it means you turn the, the motors on faster, so it's drawing more electric current. At the same time, you're actually drawing more air through a dirty filter, so you're bringing in dirty air. So you've got to know when that filter is getting blocked. And we do a thing called a pressure drop meter across a filter. It tells us, helps us predict when we need to change those filters. So instead of sending a guy around with a a thousand filters every six months to change them all, you don't do that now. You wait for it to get just dirty enough to know that it's time to change the filter. And if it's never been used, the building or the, the filter, if it's not dirty, don't change it. So that's that's one example. The other one I keep going on. Well, you mentioned uh, occupancy. Um, meeting rooms I mean we have big problems where I work meeting rooms are booked and never used so you can never get a a meeting room because they're all booked on the system you walk around the building and there's nobody in there so if you can actually there's two or three things here monitor the usage of the rooms and effectively find someone if they don't use the room and stop them just booking it because they want that room every week just monitor how the rooms are being used all the time the other thing you can do of course you can trend you can see on a Friday even though the rooms are used or booked nobody's going to use them because you're not you're not keeping track of how the rooms are used. You keep track of it, then you can start predicting what's going to happen. Now, Daniel, what risks do you think will diminish as a result of this and why? It all comes back to what sensors are used to determine what risks are going to be like, overcome, for example. Um, if it's an insurance-specific risk, then, for example, it could be targeting a major claims area. So escape of water, you could have uh, leak sensing devices, uh, quite common ones, a leak bot as it's termed, um, or other areas, so smart smoke alarms, things like that, to essentially pick up any changes that are occurring in the building and alert the relevant parties uh, before it possibly becomes a massive claim. Um, The other risks 
that uh, essentially could be diminished if they are uh, business specific rather than insurance specific. Um, it could ultimately increase efficiency that you predict when machines might be coming towards a breakdown, uh, help boost obviously efficiency on that side of it and possibly mitigate insurance risk through business interruption policies as well. Sure. So going round the table or all jump in, what we have got pouring out of this is an enormous amount of data. Is that the point? What sort of data can be harvested from these buildings and what what can it be used for? Um, so I guess I'll talk through. We've um, just been doing a project uh, in the actual building that we're based in to similarly um, to what James said, kind of f- fix it out with lots of sensors of different kinds. Um, and there is a massive amount of data. So uh, things, temperature, humidity, uh, different sort of aspects of air quality. So things that affect um, how well people work, how well people feel. Um, occupancy and then also looking at um, energy and water usage within a building as well um, so buildings all have a building management system which is used to kind of uh, kind of monitor the air conditioning um, but those systems are kind of famously very difficult to get into they hold a lot of information but the user interfaces are really for anyone who's not been trained specifically on how to use them are really difficult to pull data from um, so we've been also using a sensor which attaches onto the BMS to pull data from it so you can understand how much energy and water is being used in different spaces in the building as well. Um, so there's a huge amount of data that you can pull out of buildings. Um, and in newer buildings as well, increasingly they're integrating sensors into the actual fabric of the building. Um, so to monitor things like um, the condition of, say, some of the walls um, or sort of structural elements of the building. Um, but that's obviously quite a different aspect to sure. fitting old buildings out with things to measure the actual condition inside the building. When it comes to data, I see it, there's two sides to it. If something's going to go wrong, you need to know now. But if you want to predict what's going to happen in the next year, you need to collect the data over the next year. So there's like real time. So if the CO2 levels go whack really high, you need to tell someone immediately. So you need to do something like raise a work order to go and fix it. But if you just want to see how filters are trending, you uh, just keep keep recording over time and you look for those trends and you'll see the trends keep repeating themselves. So if you've got enough data, you'll be able to predict really accurately what's going to happen, yeah. uh, you know, over the next month, next year, whatever. I think the prediction element is probably actually the biggest benefit to IoT um, because although you might find out a little bit earlier than you would have done um, to rectify a problem that's initially going to happen straight away, um, being able to predict when a problem is about to happen can really save a lot of money and hassle for the business. Um, so that's definitely where the, the bigger benefit from connected devices comes from. So what you're talking about from a machine learning point of view is, is, a, is the ability to identify the norm, what the norm looks like. So an example of that would be in a, a cold room, for example, you'd have a thermostat, which would activate the, uh, the cooler when the temperature rises above a certain level. And you can see that on the graph very clearly. It drops and it rises, it drops and it rises as the thermostat kicks in again and again. And on a graph, that's a very regular and clear pattern. But if that pattern starts to change for some reason, then you know something's not working properly and therefore it's worth having a look. So I do a lot of work with BMS systems. The BMS systems are great at controlling, for example, the temperature. So if you go in and say, I want the temperature to be 20 degrees, the building will hit 20 degrees. How it does it, nobody's bothered about. You never complain that the temperature is just right or the environment's perfect. Nobody complains. But the building is really struggling to hit those temperatures. So it's bringing on the fans, everything's running over the top, et cetera, et cetera. So what we really need to do with IoT is not just control the building, we need to look after its health. So monitor what's happening in the building and make changes as necessary and by doing that again you can reduce costs so if you if you 
going about pumping air through this dirty filter. To pump air through a dirty filter costs a lot of money, and it starts to overstress the 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 equipment, the motors and things like that. So by knowing that the motor's being overstressed, that the filters are dirty, and making the changes to rectify those faults, you're going to cut costs, you're going to lengthen the life cycle of your assets, and and still keep people happy because the temperature is going to be just right for them. But what about insurance? Let's get down to the insurance issues here. What are the opportunities? offered by this data how can the data change the way insurance is given detecting fraud perhaps flexible insurance products who's going to lead on this james i mean that, that, that's a good question it's difficult i mean as, as as daniel mentioned there's some key perils as we call them which um we are the most concerned about and that's fire and water so mm. fire and escape of water and sensors to detect and alert those are are available you can you can you can buy those easily and fit them easily the question comes down to as you mentioned a little bit earlier who's going to pay for them and who's going to then connect those to the insurer and are there any issues with doing that so i think the technology is all there it's all possible what we have to do now is understand the mechanics exactly of how it's going to work yes lottie um an interesting thing i was going to say about that is that a lot of the technologies in terms of the basic how the sensor works is really there um but through the work we've been doing we found that there's a lot of issues, particularly in, I guess, the fact that I think 80% of buildings that are going to exist in 40 years' time have already been built. Um, and actually, buildings are really variable. Like, newer office buildings often like sort of tend to be quite similar, but actually older buildings are wildly varied. Like, the furniture differs, the type of walls differ kind of thing. And actually, a lot of the sensor systems are not built to be versatile at the moment. And therefore, you kind of end up with things being misread, like sensors falling off chairs like sort of of things not working correctly and so actually I think there is some work to be done in sort of making sure that those systems are fit for purpose and versatile because if you're basing sort of insurance decisions on them then you'll want to make sure that the data is actually correct and so you're basing it on the right thing and then there's the issue of if the data is wrong because the system's wrong then who's liable for that. Yeah there's the reliability but also a lot of the things that are going in at the moment are battery powered Mm. and people say well the battery will last 10 years how can they know that? What happens when you've got to replace a, a thousand sensor batteries? It's going to cost you a fortune. So what's coming out now uh, is um, energy energy oh, I can't the words out energy harvesting sensors. Mm-hmm. So they they use little solar cells or or heat or whatever else is available for free, and they automatically power the sensors. So you effectively got a sensor that lasts forever. It doesn't need any power. It just collects it from the environment it's in. So that, that's important. Who's paying for this? Who's shouldering the, the cost? The insurance company in order to get the benefits, in order to uh, reduce the, the, the payout, or yeah. the building owner, or who? It could go onto the policyholder to purchase it, and then that doesn't translate to any benefit for a long time if there's no need for a claim, uh, and their insurance premiums might not really go down that much, so you can't really justify it as a business case. Um, another option would be the insurance company burdens the cost um policyholders obviously will be quite happy about that because they get all the benefits without any kind of expenditure and possibly still get uh, lower premiums um but obviously insurance companies with margins being as they are on a lot of products aren't necessarily able to to shoulder that cost uh, across a big market uh, niche cases that could be possible sure. uh the other option might be to kind of work as a partnership and lease products uh the insurers have the benefit of knowing that the policyholder has the correct product with the correct software 
uh, and obviously get the benefit, hopefully, through more prediction and less claims. I guess there's an interesting thing that hasn't so far been touched on, I don't think, which is that a big component of buildings are the people inside them, um, and they have a really significant hand in how the building works. Um, And there's kind of an aspect in the work that we've been doing that getting the technology in and getting it working, there's a really big amount of there's only so much you can stick technology in before you need someone to make sure it's working, to install it, to like take the data from it, to integrate that in some other system. Um, and actually, I think that's an element that sort of incurs a lot of cost and that often isn't thought about. Is like we've installed the system in our building, that's great. Who? Okay, so who's going to who's going to maintain it if all these sensors fall off? Who's going to come in and sort that out? Who's paying for that? Um, so I think that's an sort of an interesting element of the cost that is less. It's kind of thought about as tech, someone's paying for the technology, but there's a really frequent uptake. And actually, in the systems that we've seen, there's not always a clear model by the provider of who like is the person just going to give you the sensors. Um, so I guess integrating those insurance uh, business models with the actual business model of how the system works yeah. is kind of another thing that needs thinking about. So brokers, what advice have we got for the brokers? James? Well, I think it's really important that brokers understand this and they can understand the value which uh, this technology can, can bring to their customers and how that can help with insurance products. Whether or not the insurer provides a product that comes with IoT, and as we said, that's not always straightforward it's still very valuable for the uh, for the customers to make use of this technology um, and it can have a positive impact on their insurance brokers as well have to kind of demonstrate the business case for it it's not just about insurance savings if it's increasing efficiency for them through their employees staying longer through uh, better air quality or better working conditions they're going to be more inclined to purchase that that policy that incorporates the tech and it'll be an easier sell for the employees as well because some people might feel that they're being monitored if there's sensors on chairs are they watching how hard i'm working and things like that so there could be some kind of ethical questions which get brought up um which if the business can justify by saying we're also getting much more productivity out of this then it's a lot easier of a sell for the brokers and it's all over the news to an extent with the amount of people personal data that's out there um from different bits of the the industry or different industries people are getting more and more cautious about what they're sharing with companies so if it's to do with your employment perhaps you're going to be even more cautious because you might feel that you may be deemed that you're inefficient for whatever reason that you left your chair for longer than someone else I think uh, just to add on to that, so there's really interesting work being done um, around sort of creating transparency around data collection um, and a really big element of that. And one of a sort of element of the issue in the industry, I think, at the moment is that there is a lot of different use cases for collecting data. So for reducing energy costs, for sort of predictive maintenance, for improving productivity. And often when people install that, they're not when people go to install the technology they're not actually really clear on what they want to do with it it's just like great let's smarten up our building but we don't really know why Um, and actually that's one of the big problems with the privacy issue is that if you're collecting data but you don't have a specific reason for it um, that is a really big issue because then when people ask you why it's very difficult to maintain the trust of being able to say to people we're collecting this data in order to improve the building or in, in order to reduce or in order to make the environment better for you like better for your well-being um, so I think that's something that companies who are installing it really need to think about is why are we installing this what are we hoping to get out of it and then create a plan to effectively communicate with their employees this is why we're collecting your data we can show you what we're doing with it and how it's benefiting you what opportunities does this bring for brokers well i think as as more and more insurers start to offer products that 
either provide um, Internet of Things or use data from Internet of Things, then it's up to the brokers to really understand the market and see what are the products where they can offer this benefit um, and who are the customers who are most going to will be most likely to benefit from it. And it's by understanding this is this is the job of a broker in any case, but understanding the customers well and understanding the insurer as well, the underwriter as well, mm. and then putting those two together in an, an effective way. Okay, but it's a whole new sector, as it were. Exactly. Of the commercial industry, uh, insurance industry. Doing business in a more, um, in a smarter and more data-informed way. Yeah. I think brokers are in a great position as well because of their dominance of the commercial space as a whole. They're already lent towards by businesses when they're purchasing insurance, so they're naturally going to feel more comfortable speaking to them about a product that's new they don't necessarily feel too comfortable or understand how it's going to benefit them by speaking to a broker who they've dealt with for a long time they're naturally going to be more accustomed to uh, the relationship and trust their their view on whether that policy is for them or not um, brokers also outside of the commercial space could benefit because again it's a new kind of technology that's out there and could be used in home insurance for example mm. it's just another building and the benefits are still there it can still stop escape of, escape of water claims or reduce the impact of them anyway um, and brokers aren't traditionally uh, too strong there because of the rise of price comparison sites and consumers feeling that it's all being driven by price um, demonstrating the added value that these devices have is where the broker could come in so what opportunities does this data unlock and how can the data change the way insurance is given? James, what do you, what do you reckon? Well, if we start off by thinking about insurance fraud, the more that we can understand about the origin of a claim, whether it's an escape of water or, or a fire, to use the two key examples, uh, the better for us from, from a fraud prevention and detection perspective. And if we have detailed data about the origin of a fire, for example, then we've got much more chance in understanding whether or not that might be fraudulent. The flexible insurance products as well is quite an interesting point. It's probably still perhaps even more further off in the distance than just connected buildings insurance um, because all the devices have to be in place and used and tested um, for insurers to fully be able to offer a flexible insurance product. But similarities could be kind of drawn from motor insurance where it all started with telematics and now people are moving towards usage-based insurance. Uh, so a similar kind of view could be that buildings, when occupancy levels are low, not necessarily the building's insurance is, is lower, but other insurance products to protect liability and things like that from an employer's standpoint, could be, uh, the premiums could fall in line with that. When do you think this will become mainstream? What, what, what's your feeling on that? I think at the moment people see IoT on the internet think we need to have a go at that. They don't really think it through properly, particularly when you come into new buildings. So if you think about the amount of CAD, computer-aided design, used in buildings nowadays, everything's in there apart from the sensors. And then what happens, the building comes online and then someone comes out with a box of sensors, puts sensors all over the place, they don't really have a clue where they are. Now, if you were to think the building through properly, we all know that sensors are going to be in there. So you should design that into the, the fabric of the building from day one. If you did that, then it would start to become more and more common. And again, if you put some legislation around it, if you look at what's happened with the UK government on, on UK contracts for buildings you have to do this thing called BIM 2.5 now BIM 2.5 doesn't include everything we need in the IoT world however it wouldn't take much of a push from the government to start legislating the kind of instrumentation and sensors that go into a building at the same time now you wouldn't get the whole of the, the world doing it but 
you'd certainly get a good proportion. Mm. And Lottie's nodding vigorously there. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think um, a key element is people understanding why they're using the technology. Um, and actually, I think, I guess insurance has a really big part of that as if you can say to people, install this for this purpose, collect this data and your insurance premiums will go down for this. Um, then that kind of goes a long way in getting people to take up the technology and use it in an actual kind of meaningful way, in a sense. Um, and I think similarly um, sort of educate some work that we've been doing around kind of incorporating or uh, allowing our the other employees of the catapult to get involved with the project has been really important in terms of everyone knowing how all the sensors work um, everyone knowing how the system works and what the data is being used for and sort of how it can help uh, the building and the business generally um, I think that's a really big element of it rather than say as you say kind of maintaining IOT as this like beautiful far-off thing that no one quite knows what is actually going to be useful for. Well, that's all for this discussion. My thanks to James Tucker, Smart Technology Manager at Allianz, Daniel Pierce, Senior Analyst at Global Data, Russ Mackay, Global Solutions Architect at IBM Watson IoT Division, Lottie McNair, Design Researcher at Connected Places Catapult, and finally, Andy Thornley, Head of Corporate Affairs at Bieber. Please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app. That way you'll be sure of never missing an episode. And we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review too. So for now, from me, Nick Hewer and Allianz, it's goodbye. <laughs>